LA is vast, vibrant, simultaneously stunning, as well as challenging and confusing. At Together LA, this city is our passion. We know that loving LA well starts with listening, pounding the pavement in search of the individuals invested in the flourishing of Los Angeles. These are the inspiring stories and real life interviews with the men and women who work to bring the gospel to LA in their unique ways. Thanks for joining us as we bring you closer to the heart of LA, one story, one voice, one neighborhood at a time. We are Tommy and Jojo, and this is the Together LA Listening Tour. Hey everyone, welcome. It is an honor once again to be talking on Together LA's podcast, The Listening Tour, where our goal, Marielle, we're gonna, our, the purpose of this podcast is, are we listening to the people of LA? What is God doing in LA? And before we even come up with suggestions and answers, are we doing a good job of listening? And I get a chance all the time to be on this ride with Johanna. So Johanna, welcome to you. Hey, hey, Mariel, thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you know what? Let me actually just paint a picture of Mariel through the, her bio. And then from that point, we'll start. And so her former bio says she is the former deputy, deputy editor of Los Angeles Magazine, currently works in tech space, earned her master's in professional writing from the University of Southern California and also Miami University. She has been, which I am very interested in on, been on Wheel of Fortune, went viral and also started her own business. And she has been writing and appeared in places like the New York Times, NPR, Cosmopolitan, Relevant, all of these different things. And I am so excited about just talking with her. So thank you so much for finding time. Oh yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> hey, Mary, I'll start it off as you've been published in so many times. I was just reading New York Times, Relevant Magazine, LA Magazine, all of that stuff. Have you always enjoyed writing all the time or has this been something recently uh, in the last year since you were a major in writing? Yeah, um, it's actually kind of interesting. I, I've i always been a big reader and I've always enjoyed writing, but I never really had the thought that I could pursue writing as a career. Um, it's something that I've always really, I, I, I taught myself how to read by the, the age of five, which really astounded my parents. I just asked them actually quite recently. I was like, did you guys always know I was gonna do something creative just because of that? Um, and they did have a sense of that. I've never really been like a math and science person. Yeah. I'm positively horrible at math and science. Mm -hmm. So um, I really, I always enjoyed it in school. I studied English literature in my undergrad. Um, but when I, but I've always kind of felt like I've been, I'm like, okay at a lot of things, but not great at anything. Um, and it wasn't until I decided to go to graduate school that I really found this passion and love um, and what I think is kind of like a God-given talent to yeah. for writing, um, yeah. and or at least a God-given passion for writing, I should say. I don't want to like toot my own horn here. I'm fine. I'm not Hemingway, but you know, um, I think that it was really interesting because I actually applied to quite a number of graduate schools for. I was kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what would stick. I was like, maybe I'll go for writing, maybe I'll go for Spanish translation and interpretation because I studied Spanish in my undergrad. I was like, maybe I'll go for editing. And I ended up getting into the University of Southern California for this um, master's program in what they called professional writing, which was a multi-genre program. It was so great. You could study 
fiction or nonfiction or poetry or playwriting or screenwriting and, and then take classes in all of these different fields as well. And it really wasn't until I got to grad school where I was like, whoa, like people do this as a job, uh, sign me up. And so I really felt um, so just like overjoyed to have found something that I really wanted to pursue and pursue wholeheartedly. And and that's kind of how I decided and, and ended up to sort of go after it as a career, um, which has, has worked out pretty okay yeah. <laughs> so far. Mario, you know, I, I'm talking to Johanna, and Johanna is a phenomenal writer, and I'm talking to you. You're a phenomenal writer. I am a terrible writer. I have no interest in writing, and I struggle with it. I will read the same thing over and over and over again. You just mentioned you just love writing. It's how God has designed you. What does it feel like when you know that this is something I love, this is something I've designed? What is that feeling like that made you tap into writing? That's such a good question. Um, I think what is so great about it is like, a, it's a real feeling of like, you know, people have always say they feel called to something or they've always known they've wanted to do things, you know, since they were five or little, like wanted to be a lawyer or an astronaut or whatever. I, I was feeling really untethered up until graduate school and kind of, kind of afloat and just was like, I don't really know what I was put here for. And so when I really landed on that, um, as as a gift and as something I wanted to pursue, it was really kind of this overwhelming sense of of peace and relaxation. Um, not a guarantee that it will always be like sunshine and lollipops and rainbows, or that I would get a good job or get you know be able to freelance for this publication or whatever. But just something that really made me feel like, okay, I really do feel like this is something that was gifted to me, and I I'm happy and feel joyful and peaceful about pursuing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Johanna. How do you grow your skills as a writer? I mean, it's one thing, you know, to be going to school and you're tasked with doing all of these assignments and things like that to really grow your skills. But out of school, what are some things that you you do just to keep keep growing in your craft? Yeah. Um it's kind of a cliche. I feel like every teacher I've ever had or every mentor I've ever had in the industry would say this, but you being a reader helps you make helps make you a good writer. Right. Um, and and so I try to read as much as I can, but I will say I feel like I'm a little bit in the minority here on this. I tend to read the things that I love over and over and over again as opposed to I do the same thing with TV. Um I watch what I love over and over and over again, as opposed to necessarily, not necessarily like expanding my horizon, my literary horizons, if you will. But the reason I like to study the things that I love over and over again is because to me, there's something that really resonates. And when I see something that works, I kind of want to figure out how it ticks. And I want to figure out how I can do that or apply that same sort of feeling I get when I read one of my favorite books, where it's like, wow, how am I not sick of this yet? Um, well, I love to read. Um, I just, and, and I definitely think that's how you sharpen your skill, not just as, you know, necessarily a fiction writer or a poet or whatever it is, but even as a journalist, man, I love reading the journalists that I admire. And just sometimes it's, it's like crazy making. Cause I'll read something and be like, Oh, I'll never be this good ever in my life. And it's, you know, you read a phrase, the turn of phrase, that's just so perfect. And you're like, nobody will ever describe something this perfectly ever again. Mm -hmm. And it can be a little crazy making, but 
there is certainly, I mean, writing is one of those fields that's simultaneously oversaturated, but also kind of has room for everybody, um, especially, you know, part of what makes a writer unique is, is tapping into their own voice and their own experiences and kind of making those stories are, um, accessible to the everyman. And um, there's a lot of room for creativity and growth um, and wonder. And, and yeah, so that's, that's typically how I like to do it, um, even if, probably other people would be like, I consume as much as I can. I'm like, I just consume the same like six things over and over again. I'm definitely in the other boat. I am like, I just want to read. I don't, I'm like, life is too short. I have to read as, totally. much, as much different people as possible, but I will get stuck on an author, obviously. So, you know, I'll like Danny Shapiro, I'll read every book by Danny Shapiro all at once and then I'll totally. move on to somebody else. Um, totally. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the opposite. Uh-huh. Yeah. So many people are, I mean, my, one of my dear friends um, from graduate school, she's like, I do not understand how you can waste time reading <laughs> the same thing over and over again when there's so much other stuff to read. And I'm just like, man, I it broke. My mom will read the same book over and over again too. There's a comfort. Um, there's like, you know, it's like you're hanging out with your friends. You're coming back to people you know. Like, especially in, like, right now in the pandemic and everything, mm-hmm. I find myself seeking comfort in mm-hmm. the things that I know, like, put me in a peaceful headspace or are escapist in such a way that, like, I actually can forget what's going mm-hmm. on around me for a minute. And, you know, TV-wise, that's usually, like, Parks and Rec. And book-wise, it's definitely, I like, I love Ready Player One. It's one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, very escapist, slightly dystopian, so not like super great for a pandemic, but good enough to kind of escape into. Um, so yeah, I definitely find myself seeking comfort from stuff that I know as well. I just finished the Gunslinger series. Oh, was it good? It was so good. And like you said, it was like perfect pandemic reading because it took me six months to read the series and um, I kind of started it right right before the pandemic kicked in. And I just remember picking up like the 800 page book and going, yes, I've got something to let me escape for a long time. (laughs) I feel you on that one. Okay. um, We're going to switch, switch gears here just a little bit because um, you went viral. I did. I I experience like, and how are you still so grounded? <laughs> oh my gosh, well my 15 minutes of fame. I it was truly it was um like you know every I feel like everybody kind of thinks they'll have a 15 minutes of fame. This is not particularly how I thought I would spend mine by like outing Whole Foods for an insane sort of like product that they had on their shelves, but way back in 2000 and this is the first time I've actually gone viral twice, which is like, I mean, lucky me, I guess, but, who would have <laughs> um, but the first time I went viral, it was because I was shopping in shopping in my whole foods in my neighborhood. And I saw on their shelves, they were carrying these bottles of water that were, that had like three stalks of asparagus in, in them. And they were selling that water for like five ninety nine, And it was just called asparagus water. And mm. I was like, what is going on here? And so I took a photo of it and I did post it on my Instagram account. And like, I'm a nobody on Instagram. I truly have no clue how it went by. Like, I'm really unsure how it got the attention of like anybody. But like within a couple hours of posting it, I had like every news outlet you can imagine across the country, just like ready to sort of 
right like skewer whole foods for like the the next crazy thing that whole foods did and by the time it was all over oh my gosh i was on um last week tonight with john not i they talked about it on last week tonight with john oliver they talked about gimmel on fallon it was like written about in all of these national publications like people from egypt were tweeting at me and like arabic like lol asparagus i was like what is going on like this is so bizarre um and i definitely i mean i think i felt a little convicted i was like sorry whole foods like i'm i'm really like your number one fan i'm in your store like three times a week um so it was definitely kind of a hilarious i remember like I was getting ready for a friend's wedding in 2015, like literally hopping into a bridesmaid's dress. And I get a phone call and they were like, hey, this is a producer from last week tonight with John Oliver. Like, can we use this photo on our show? And I was like, what? How much are you gonna pay me, John Oliver? Oh my gosh, that's the other funny thing is that last week tonight was the, they were the final, final people to ask me for the photo. And without even me prompting, they were like, oh, we'll pay you for it. And I was like, you mean I could have been getting paid this whole time from like the thousands of other people who've been asking me to use this photo on their websites? That makes um, me feel good about John Oliver because yeah. I'm absolutely in love with him and I'd give anything to be on his show. So good you. I know. That's a <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I was tickled by that so that was definitely um a really fun experience and it's actually been quite fun i mean that was like five years ago and it's been quite fun to see how it just like randomly pops up in the press over Mm -hmm. and over again it's like some you know buzzfeed will do some roundup of like the most ridiculous things like viral memes of the last five years and i always know somebody has posted something about it because someone will find the picture on my instagram and i'll get like a random like on it five years later and so i'm like oh who posted who posted something about asparagus watergate again that's hilarious now do whole foods ever contact you or say anything to you oh my gosh no whole foods never contacted me directly but i did read this insane article where like some big wig at Whole Foods decided, I, I honestly felt so bad about this. They decided to start like a like a task force, like a media task force for things that ever happen like this again in the future. Because apparently they were like so unprepared to deal with the media fallout of like people freaking out about asparagus water that they like created, they created like a little internal like task force so that they could like figure out how to deal with stuff like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like undesirable number one, probably on like all the bulletin boards in the back of, in the back of Whole Foods being like, don't let this girl shop here. I mean, I love asparagus and I love water. I just don't know that I would uh, want it together. (laughs) We're for for $6, frankly. I mean, like I could do that at home for probably like, Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Um, so you have also started a business where you write punny wedding hashtags. Yeah. That is about that. And um and and I'm actually my best friend's getting married in a couple of weekends. Maybe I can get you to give me a good punny hashtag for them. Yeah, no, this is this is the also the set the second time I went viral was because of this wedding hashtag business, which I which I frequently refer to as the best worst idea I've ever had because who knew that it was going to blow up uh in the way that it did. But um in 2016 
I was invited to 16 weddings and ended and ended up going to 14 of those weddings uh, in a single year. It was far and away the craziest year of my life, not only because I was just hemorrhaging funds on on weddings and bachelorette parties and you know bridesmaids dresses and all of these things, but because I worked in magazine, um, I, for those who are unfamiliar with the magazine industry, magazines love a good pun in a headline, in like a little kicker, in an intro. Like punning is a wonderful part, in my mind, of the magazine process. And so all of my friends who were getting married were like, oh, you're so good at coming up with these puns. Is there any way that you could help us make our wedding hashtag? And it really made me think, if so many people need help with this, like there must be... Like, I wonder if there's actually like an actual business need here. And so um, I just decided on a whim to kind of like threw together a Squarespace website, um, which was really easy and great because I'm like technologically challenged and don't know how to do anything. And I like soft launched it and just, you know, word of mouth or whatever was telling friends who I had done it for. I was like, tell your friends, like whatever. And, and at first I was kind of getting like one order a week, maybe like two orders a week. And it was all be all from people who were like, oh, I heard about you from Lexi or, oh, I heard about you from mm -hmm. Brad or, oh, I heard about you from so-and-so. Um, but then about a month in New York Magazine picked it up and they wrote about it on the cut and they were like, wow, this is oh. it now. And they interviewed me about it. And once New York Magazine picked it up, it pretty much went like gangbusters like good morning america did a segment on it and it was i was on like a podcast in the B, um, bbc about like weird interesting jobs and like i was in a magazine in australia and i was getting orders from like everywhere from the philippines to india to sweden to like anywhere i feel like anywhere you can think of i've gotten an order or a client from there um and now i've done pretty over a thousand orders at this point which is wow. Which is pretty crazy considering like a hashtag is, is you know, in, in this day and age, it's a pretty crucial part of a wedding, but it's certainly not part, you know, part and parcel of your average, you know, wedding decor, or like wedding needs or whatever it is. Um, but it's definitely been like a really fun ride to help people. I mean, there are so many people I get who ask for such specific things. Like you'd be so surprised. Like I remember one of my first orders, they were like, we love Chance the Rapper. Can you put a Chance the Rapper lyric in our hashtag? And I was like, lyrics are really long and hashtags are supposed to be really short. But we figured out a way to make it work. And people ask for like Disney themed hashtags or travel themed hashtags, or we really love our dog and we want our dog to be involved in our hashtag and all of these sorts of things. So it's, it's definitely been like a really fun um side hustle that's for sure <laughs> now are there any examples of hashtags that you could give on uh live on this uh interview yeah well you know it's so funny like i have all of them in my brain you know people can order a certain amount they can order like one idea three ideas or five oh, ideas okay um but sometimes when people order five ideas I have to come up with like 15 bad ones to get five good ones yeah so i feel like i have all of these crazy hashtags in my brain. But one of my like forever favorites is one that I did um, for two of my best friends. Um, their last name was Tempo, and, or the groom's last name was Tempo. And um, I gave them Molly Picks Up the Tempo, which they thought was like really fun. And they, they're really like lively, life of the party people. Mm -hmm. um, so that one was really fun. One of my favorite ones actually that didn't get used 
was for a couple, I wish they used it. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, they're gonna pick this one. It's so clever and funny. And then like people end up picking like the more, yeah. run like just the more like simple one. Um, but I did have a couple, their names were Jess. The girl's name was Jess and the guy's name was Case, as in like a case of LaCroix or whatever. And I gave them Jess Case scenario, which I like, which I thought was hilarious. That's cute. <laughs> um, but they went with something that was, it was really cute. I can't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head, but it was definitely like the more simple of the two options. So it's, it's also really interesting to see like what people gravitate towards and what they pick. Yeah. Um, and, and I've gotten to do some, gosh, I got, I got to do one hashtag for this couple who had like the Clintons and like Katy Perry at their wedding. And I was like, whoa, dang. <laughs> like, I'm, this makes me feel like I've hit the, the hashtag big time. Like it's happening. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hey, uh, going to a serious topic that I want to be a little more serious about creativity in arts, especially in this day and age when we think of Los Angeles, every single city has its DNA. Austin, Chicago, LA has a certain DNA. You look at how does how do you think creativity and the arts brings about renewal for the mm. gospel in the city of LA? How what would you say to that if someone asked you that question? Yeah, that's such a great question. And honestly, being able to work at Los Angeles Magazine for the first part of my career really, you know, put me on the front lines of seeing that. Um, for a long time there, I was the arts and culture editor of the magazine, and you know, firsthand got to experience the way that art and creativity can kind of renew a neighborhood or unite a neighborhood, um, give people a cause to get behind. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a powerful thing to see when you can see it firsthand and seeing how arts commissions in the city of Los Angeles are working towards giving grants um, to underserved neighborhoods so that they can create beautiful public art um, in public spaces where people can go and sit in the park and, and look and be connected and be with each other and all of these sorts of things. I think I think people really not necessarily forget, but just maybe underestimate um, how those those sorts of murals or public sculptures or whatever it might be can be a real um, a real way to like unite the fabric of a neighborhood and just create a sense of identity and unity um, in a way that communities that maybe are sort of underserved in the arts and culture department do not really have an opportunity to. Um, and so for me, the way that I see it sort of bringing about renewal is by creating and kind of um, crafting and cultivating human connection in a place where there wasn't any mm. before. Um, I think we forget sometimes how important it is to, to just be connected to other people and um, and being able to see something and sort of have a conversation about it or even just like sit around it and look at it and you all have sort of like the same um, vocabulary to be able to, oh, did you see that sculpt, the new sculpture that they put up in Carlson Park or whatever it is, it does foster and cultivate a sort of sense of, a, a renewed sense of community, mm. which I think in LA is so crucial because it's a city that's so sprawling it's so hard to meet people. It's so, and so we do kind of end up sort of insular in our own neighborhoods and insular in our own communities. Um, and it's really easy to kind of like flake out or not show up to the thing or not 
you know, call the friend when we said we were going to. And I do think that creating those spaces and opportunities for people to create real connections is is so important and and such a great way to to do that. There was a really great. Um, I hope I'm not um, not too slow. Um, can you guys hear me? Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're fine. There is a really great um, Netflix special on actually a Chicago guy named Theaster Gates. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him and yeah, his artistry and creativity, and the spaces that he um, he creates spaces in, in the south side of Chicago. Um, and it's all centered around art and creativity. And it's just completely renewing um, that particular area where he, he's been working. And, you know, in Long Beach, they're opening as soon as, I mean, hopefully this fall, it's called The Compound. And again, it's another place. And I love what you're saying about community. It's, it's an art space um, totally. and a place to just hang out and just be and have discussions and it just brings the community together. And I really, I really love that. And I think there's also something about beauty, you know, creativity, um, even if it's tough, you know, you know, sometimes true stories don't, aren't always beautiful stories. Um, art isn't always beautiful, but the expression of, of what is true um, help it be beautiful ultimately. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think exactly what you're saying is right. And what's so interesting about it is truth resonates with people. And that's why I think truth a lot of times makes people feel really uncomfortable. If you speak, even if you're speaking truth to somebody in love, a lot of times that truth can make them feel uncomfortable, but that's because we all know that what is true resonates. And so it's something that people kind of want to run away, run away from instead of dig into because they're like, Oh, I don't want to believe that thing, or I don't want that to be true or whatever it is. But those sorts of conversations that can get opened up by art and creativity create sort of like a safe environment in which to bring up some of those truths or re-examine some, you know, preconceived notions or beliefs that we've held or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's so amazing about LA specifically is how much of the arts are made available to people for free or at least for like very little money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it also encourages people to travel for, to different parts of town to be able to see some of these amazing installations or see some of these amazing museum exhibitions or whatever it might be, or dance, you know, we have such a vibrant dance community here in LA that I feel like nobody even really knows about, um, or live theater performances at all of the little theaters around town. Um, you know, it's just, there's so much going on that really is sort of trying to encourage and cultivate community building. And, and I personally think that that is a really crucial um, touch point for that in Los Angeles, for sure. Yeah. Johanna, Mariel, I'm working on the sermon for this Sunday on Romans 4, chapters 1 through 12. And we're talking about how the gospel transforms us and gives us a new status. And I am going to use this illustration where Chadwick Boseman had to really be able to share about how Denzel Washington provided a scholarship to nine African-American boys to re- for them to become actors. He was one of those nine actors that got a scholarship. And he shared there would not have been a uh, Black Panther if there was not a Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. You have all of the arts changing and making a difference for a lot of these guys, especially here in the Los Angeles. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, across communities, across cultures, across, you know, 
races, genders, everything. I mean, like there's, there's such a push in Los Angeles. It's one of the things I love about LA and especially about the arts and culture scene here is just the, the vastness of, of, of what is being promoted and loved on and included. I mean, like the Hammer Museum does such a great biennial every two years um, called Made in LA that is just like, was it a biennial? Is that what it is? I'm pretty sure. I'm like out of the game just long enough. I'm like pretty sure it is every couple of years. Um, where they, you know, they they pluck these artists out of you know, relative ob obscurity, not not mm -hmm. totally not total obscurity, but like that aren't as well known as your as your you know Jeff Koons and your you know Barbara Krugers and all of these people, right. and they have the opportunity to be representative of of their community or of their belief system or of whatever it is, and and it is so important to hear those stories because those are the stories that we don't get to hear all the time, right? And mm -hmm. And just like you're saying, Tommy, like that's, we wouldn't have, I didn't even know that story about Denzel Washington. And it is so interesting about how art and renewal kind of go hand in hand when you have people who leave the door open for you in that field. Um, I've talked with women a lot about this in terms of writing, you know, almost all of the editors I came up under at Los Angeles Magazine were women. And it was not the sort of, it was not the sort of um, environment that you might imagine where it's like, you, I, I feel like people have a really negative stereotype of all women in an office where it's catty and backstabbing and this, that, and the other and whatever. And it wasn't like that at all. It was, it was the most nurturing, wonderful environment to come up in. Nobody was backstabbing. It was sort of like, I want to leave, I want to leave the door open for the women who come after me. And, and it was, and, and because of that, it was one of, you know, the loveliest and most wonderful experiences I mean, there were wonderful male editors there too, but it was just such a great experience um, as a woman coming up in a field that's predominantly male, at least in in New York and a lot of other magazines. It's, there's a lot of men working in the industry as well um, to just be able to have that sort of creative experience. It's just, it's important for sure. I, I really do. I really do miss being like out and about in LA. Like what I feel is so wonderful about Los Angeles as a city is that it's like perpetually paradoxical. It's a really like interesting, you can find highbrow, you can find lowbrow, you can be doing something in the art scene, you can go try a new restaurant, you can like, I actually, th this also might be an unpopular opinion, but I actually think LA is like a really weird city to come visit as a tourist. Because I think ostensibly a tourist might be like, there's nothing to do here. We've been to the museum. We saw the Hollywood sign. We went to the beach. Now what? Like LA is really a city that caters to the people who stick it out. And now having been here for 10 years myself, um, it's actually, it's real. it reminds me of the way that my brother talks about Chicago because my brother lives um, in my hometown still in Chicago. And he's like, there's always something going on. There's a show at this cool underground place, or I want to go try this restaurant or blah, 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 blah. And that's like really what I miss about pandemic life in Los Angeles. It's like, oh, I have learned the ins and outs of my neighborhood intimately, and I am now ready to leave my neighborhood. <laughs> and it's 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 really been tough. It's tough not being able to sort of like experience all of the spoils and the riches that LA naturally has to offer. Um, and it's heartbreaking, honestly, to see how some of, 
gosh, some of like the these great mom and pop shops and great restaurants, some of them that just got off their feet basically, um, or have been on, you know, we're on 2019 best restaurants lists already are closing their doors. It's such, it's just, it's such a shame. It's such a shame, but, but I don't buy into the narrative of like cities are dying and they're never going to bounce back from this. I mean, I think LA is like particularly resilient as a, as a city. And I do think that we will. Um, but it really is, a, it's definitely a shame to sort of see some of these places that give the city so much of its color going out of business. Yeah, for sure. And, and Mariel, as we wrap up here, I cannot end this interview without asking you about Wheel <laughs> of Fortune and your time on Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I tell this to everybody. I'm like, everybody should audition for Wheel of Fortune because in the grand scheme of game shows, it's probably a little bit easier to get onto than other game shows just because they, they have an episode that airs every day. And so they're like constantly needing to refill the coffers of contestants. And um, so I actually was assigned a story for, we were doing a package at Los Angeles Magazine called Must Do LA. And it was like 50 things every Angelino has to do before they die, basically. It was like the ultimate LA bucket list. And I had initially pitched um, getting onto The Price is Right, which because it yeah, was yeah. like, my, it's still my dream in life to be on The Price is Right. My mom was on The Price is Right. She won a lamp. It was great. And I have always wanted to do that. And so I pitched the story, my editor accepted it, and she was like, just try and get on a, a bunch of different ones just in case you can't get on Prices Right. And so I applied for the Wheel of Fortune, um, the Wheel of Fortune gig, never heard anything back. The issue went to print. And a couple months later, I got an email from Real Wheel of Fortune that was like, you want to come audition? And I was like, 100%, I still want to come audition. So I went to this like total cattle call audition in Culver City. Uh, part of the audition is that they make you, uh, they, <laughs> there's like hundreds of people sitting in this room and they're like, we want to know you can get excited on TV. So we're going to point at you and we want you to say a letter and say it super excitedly. And so they were like pointing at all of these people and some people would be like, P, like really unsure. And when they pointed at me, I like got out of my chair and I was like, F and just like screamed it and was like so excited. And then they give you this quiz to see how good you are basically at solving Hangman. And then they make you uh, also pretend like you're spinning the wheel because they don't have the wheel in this like audition space. And they're like, it's really heavy. So you have to act it out and pretend like you're spinning the wheel. So like I pretended like I spun it. I like, you know, made a huge show of it. It was like, oh, gotta spin the wheel. And somehow miraculously made it onto the show. Um, got to hang out with Pat, got to hang out with Vanna. We played, um, we played, it was, an, it was a team show. So it was me and my other friend, Amy, who I went to graduate school with. And then we played against two other teams. I remember the theme was Girlfriends Getaway. So it was like three teams of women. And, um, and we got second place and we won like a pretty good amount of money for playing, like for playing hangman for 20 minutes. And it was, it was honestly like, quite nerve wracking, but also really, really fun. Um, and something that that's like, of my bucket list items, like whenever people ask me, like, oh, what's your like number one thing to do in LA? My first answer is always go see Jeff Goldblum play at the Rockwell table and stage in Los Feliz because he plays a jazz show there. I mean, when it's not a pandemic, he plays a jazz show there every Wednesday night. He's the most generous man on the planet. He will stay and take pictures with every single person in the bar. And he just like plays with his 
Mildred Snitzer Orchestra, and it's amazing and like a total hidden gem. And then I tell people to try Good. Yeah. And then I tell people to try out for Wheel of Fortune. So Jeff Goldblum and Wheel of Fortune are my like top two LA picks. Wow. Johanna Marriott, my wife is sitting here. She never pays attention to any of my interviews. She heard immediately that I'm talking with you and you were on Wheel of Fortune. She stopped and now she wants to listen. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm telling you, have her send in the form, have her sign up and go. Just tell her to be really loud, really excited. And like, chances are she'll get on the show. That's, I mean, that's my professional opinion. Charlene, you hear this? She tells you, apply. Chances are, if you apply, you're really loud and you're really good at Hangman, they'll let you on the show. Basically. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yes. Hey, it was a pleasure. We're running out of time. We're going to have to do this again soon. Oh, so fun. Thank you guys for just letting me gab and gab and gab and gab. I feel like I talked so much. <laughs> it was such a joy to be able to chat with you both. Thank you. Oh, and awesome. I know. Both of you guys are probably going to get together. Next time you come to Chicago, I'd love to come and see you. Totally. Oh, my gosh. Also, my parents would just be overjoyed if I came to Chicago, but unfortunately with the pandemic. But hopefully next time we will be able to, for sure. Yeah, for more information, Together LA, go to togetherla.net. That is togetherla.net. Johan, thank you again for – Marielle, thank you for taking time out to talk today. Thanks, Marielle. Thank talk you guys more. so much. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Together LA Listening Tour. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Together LA channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with Together LA on Instagram, Facebook, and our website at www.togetherla.net. See you next time.